Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 77 of Comic Talk, the podcast. My name, Jesse Rivera. Today, Monday, October the 26th, and our guest is comedian, funny person, Maria Deplautis. She is hilarious, and I had, we had the best conversation. We talked about birds a lot. We talked about birds. We talked about medical issues. We talked about medical concerns. We talked about operations. We talked about a lot of stuff. And I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed um, having it with Maria. But first, before we get to that, what else is going on? Dude, baseball. Fuck. I tried not to get involved. I was like, don't let me catch feelings, baseball. Like, if you're in town for the weekend, that's cool. Let's hook up. But I don't want to catch feelings. And what happened? I'm catching feelings, man. And it's rough to just turn it off at the end of the game and then try not to think about it until the next game starts. But Dodgers just took a 4-2 lead. Oh, it's 4-2. I wish it was 4-2. A 3-2 lead over the Tampa Bay uh, D-Rays, D-backs. What are they? The team from Tampa Bay. They had really ugly hats tonight, and I, I'll compliment a good hat. If it's a nice hat, I'll say that's a nice hat. Like when we were playing San Diego, and they were rocking those brown hats with the with the yellow letters, those hats were sick, right? But the Tampa Bay hats tonight, they did nothing for me, and I think that may have been why they lost. They were they went with like the North Carolina baby blue uniforms. Those were tight, but the hat wasn't feeling it. So I think that may have been what got them in the end. I'm not saying I'm a superstitious sports fan. I'm only saying it's only weird if it don't work, all right? And whatever the Dodgers did tonight, it worked. They're one win away or two losses away from another epic World Series. Well, two losses and they would lose or one win and they would win a World Series for the first time since 1988. It's almost to me, it's like almost the first time in my lifetime. It was so long ago, and I was a completely different person in 1988. When they won the World Series the last time, I was a senior in high school, and I was about to get dumped by my high school sweetheart. So I was blindly in love, didn't even, because I didn't even see it coming. I thought, like like every high school relationship, this is the one. We're going to be together forever. You don't understand. And like 30 days after the Dodgers won the World Series, I was sitting there going, What? Me? With who? Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Back to, dude, there's so much, I spent way too much time in front of the television this weekend, and I want to talk about that a little bit, because I try not to watch a lot of TV, but I do watch some TV, but I watched three baseball games this weekend, and they're each like three hours long, so that's a long time. Then, David Letterman's, um, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest, brand new season, Interviews with uh, Kim Kardashian, Lizzo, Dave Chappelle, Robert Downey Jr. I think that's all of them. There might be one more. I'm forgetting. But I watched the Kim K. It was great. Saw her in a whole new light. I to This morning, I watched the Robert Downey Jr. one. Love that dude. Love him even more after this. And I still need to watch the others. I'm going to try to not watch him until next Saturday maybe okay let's see if I can hold out also new on Netflix and I'm probably gonna watch one tonight before I go to bed there's a whole new season of uh, unsolved mysteries and it's a great show but 
okay, one of the cool things about watching Unsolved Mysteries when you're a little kid was that at the end, they would be like, do, 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 update since the last airing of this episode. And they would have updates, right? And you would be like, oh my God, I remember watching that. That's what I thought had happened. So those were kind of satisfying because even though the show is called Duh, Unsolved Mysteries, sometimes at the end of the original Unsolved Mysteries series, there would be an update and you would get a solved case. Not the case in these brand new episodes. They leave you completely dumbfounded and it's all left to you and uh, a rabbit hole called Wikipedia and Reddit that you just go down after watching an interesting episode. I've only watched two episodes so far. I think there's four more. And like I said, I'm definitely watching one tonight as soon as I'm done recording this intro, which is going super long. But I finally had something kind of cool to talk about in the intro. Baseball, I love it. It's back. It'll be over by this time next week. So by this time next week, I'll either be tracking my Dodgers World Series champion baseball cap, or I will be saying how much I hate baseball and I'm not going to watch it again next year until uh, the playoffs. But we'll see how that goes. Ba uh, basketball's over with. Football has does nothing for me. I'm, And it's not even like the whole flags and protests, all that stuff. No, it's just like those grown men, I don't know. It's it's just not for me anymore. I'm done with football. I don't watch any of it. I have no uh, opinion to give on it, good or bad. I'm just done with football. I'm bored with it. Um, yeah, that's about the extent of my sports right now. Um, my hobbies are music and listening to records and searching. <laughs> I'm even watching like uh, YouTube videos about other record collectors and their record collections, and then going down those rabbit holes. So that's keeping me busy that's that's my hobby that's my baseball that's my football that's that's where i kill my time anyway enough i'm done episode 77 maria diplotis please enjoy thanks for tuning in i'll talk to you soon bye maria diplotis how the hell are you <laughs> oh that is a complicated question i guess the sh <laughs> the short answer is okay yeah. Um, but it's been a year. It's been an interesting few years. And this year, at least everyone else is having an interesting year, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the like a lot of times when you catch up with with your old buddies, you know, especially like people, friends that you have in the entertainment. Um, a lot of times you might run into where like they've had a great run since you last saw them or you've had a great run since you last saw them. And we're not really on parallel planes at the moment. So it's, it could get kind of awkward of like, yeah, everything sucks for me right now, but everything's great for you, right? But right <laughs> now, everyone's kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah, not just me anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we're, we're all in it. I uh, yeah. I was, uh, I, I like actually, like I looked up your name, I saw that you're Greek and I was doing my best to, because I think it's important to, try to pronounce people's names the way they were meant to be said but i have this thing in me that i just automatically make it like a mexican name <laughs> oh so, say it that way it's uh, i mean like spanish is way more similar to greek than it, english it is right the plot yeah. right yeah how how would you say it like the mexican version maria de Flores. i would have i would have i would have put like an like a silent r at the end uh Flores. yeah yeah that's what I would have done. 
but in um in Greek it's Maria di Bludi. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's Maria, not Marie or not Marie. Right. Yeah, it's or Maria. Yeah, it's it's Maria. Not, not Mary. That's a very like Anglo-centric, but once you go to like Southern or Eastern Europe, there's a lot of Marias. Like half the Greek girls are named Maria. Really? Yeah. Most I common know, name. I know nothing about the Greek culture. And like the only thing I know about Greek food is like there's a great uh Greek uh, uh lunch spot in uh in downtown Sacramento there's yeah. like a there's like a Greek buffet and it's so good um I hope it's still there afterwards it's great maybe next time you're in town we'll, we'll hit it up but, oh I would love to but, whenever uh, buffets are a thing again <laughs> it might not be yeah we might never go <laughs> But I'm sure they'll have regular food. I'd love to check it out. Yeah. So the only thing I know about the Greek culture is that mm -hmm. Telly Savalas and <laughs> my big fat Greek wedding, which I love all of them. I love all three of those things. So how Greek yeah. are you? Are, are you first generation American, second generation? How? I'm I'm first gen. I'm uh, I have dual citizenship. I grew up between both countries. So I'm I'm pretty Greek. That's I don't look it but I am. <laughs> That's very Greek. So you were, you were born in, I was going to say Greek. <laughs> yeah. So you were born in Greece. And when, when did you come to America and did you land in the Bay area when you came to America? So I, I was born in America. Um, but for the first five years of my life, it was half Greece, half here. And I, I use the term first gen because I've actually like, I've looked into it and I'm not it, like first gen can mean like when you are born somewhere else and move here or when oh. your parents like just moved here and like had you right away. Um, so that's why I use that term, because in my mind, like the second generation are the ones who like whose parents also grew up here. And it's a totally different experience growing up as a kid when you're trying to just figure everything out with your parents versus when you have parents who've kind of already figured things out. True. So I was, I was born in the Bay Area. I was born in San Jose. And then the first five years of my life was half in the Bay Area and half in a little village on an island in Greece. Um, I, we lived in this house, like without running water, it was like so old world, like my cousins would fish and we would eat like the fish and the octopus and like grill it out in the yard. And it's just a very different world between the two countries, but I didn't learn English until I started school in America when I was about five. And why was it half the year Greece and half the year America? Was it that your parents, that's what their work was or were they seasonal? laborers or what, what, why was it that way? So um, with a lot of Greek Americans, we feel very like we're Greek first, like that's our ethnic identity. And then our nationality is like, you know, we live in America. Um, and a big part of, of our culture is trying to go back to Greece as much as possible. And on top of that, like all of my extended family is in Greece, pretty much. I have like some cousins spread out through America, but I have like 30 cousins in Greece, you know? Right. So most Greeks try to go in the summer, at least for a little bit. Um, my dad, 
had started his own business, he was a bird salesman. So he was a bird distributor, which means like he, he was able to make his own schedule. And so when we were in America, it was usually during more of like the fall and winter months. And we would travel like up and down California selling birds to pet stores. So I grew up with that. I grew up with birds. And from a young age, I learned how to like train and interact with birds and i can still do it to this day if it ever wait so were you guys like in a big cargo van with like boxes and boxes of birds in the back and just like driving from town to town close it was it was actually (laughs) great it was very it was a very interesting childhood i have a bunch of pictures of us like because we would stop at rest areas and like sometimes let the birds out. And we had all sorts of birds from like finches to all the way up to macaws and toucans. So I grew up handling birds. Like I was socialized with birds probably more than I was with other humans growing up. But um, it was it was actually a short bus that my dad had bought, like an old short bus that he painted white and put cages in it. So one side was the small birds, like the finches and canaries, parakeets. And then the other side was the big birds, the parrots and toucans and stuff. And yeah, we just drove up and down California. And this was before the internet and stuff. So like we would just keep an eye out for pet stores and just stop by and be like, hey, where do you get your birds from? We've got birds. (laughs) So many questions. It's so weird. Yeah. So many questions. Uh, okay, so first, where would he restock on his birds? Like, where was where was his bird dealer? Northern California, Southern California, the overseas? Where did he get birds to sell? So enough time has passed that I think I can reveal the family secret. Okay, um, oh, oh, this is great. We're only like five <laughs> minutes in and we're getting family secrets. Oh, this is great. Okay, so... Um, my dad realized early on that Americans really like the idea of like hand-raised baby birds that grew up on a farm and everything is, you know, beautiful and every everyone's happy. So we said we had a farm and my dad had told us, you know, when I was a kid, tell people you have a farm. It doesn't really matter. What we end, what the reality was that we were getting our birds mostly from um, quarantine places. Like when birds came into the country, they would be put in quarantine for a while. It's just standard. Like they weren't illegal or anything. And then also some bird farms, all of which were in Southern California for some reason. So were they like quarantine birds that like the owners never went back for because they were like 60 days and they're like, nah, keep it. Oh, no, that's more like um, what happens at animal shelters, like animal care and control gets birds and stuff. But no, this is um, so there's a there are some birds that are illegal to bring into America and there are some birds that are legal. But once they come in, they have to be put in quarantine for a certain amount of time just to make sure they don't bring in any diseases. So um, there there are a lot of these quarantine places in Southern California area that are just full of birds that have been, I guess, like imported in and they just hang out there for, I I don't actually know. I was a kid. I don't know the time period. I don't know if it's weeks or months, but we would just go and stock up. And then a lot of times with the more expensive birds, um, 
like the macaws, the parrots, the toucans, those would come from bird farms uh, where other people would raise them. But my dad always wanted us to give the illusion that like, oh, we have our own farm. We raise everything on our own. We, you know. So great. Yeah. <laughs> and we would get baby birds sometimes that we would have to hand feed. Um, so I learned how to do that at a very young age. If you ever need to feed a baby bird, I'm your gal. <laughs> did, you, did you hand feed or did you do, or did you do the thing where you chewed the food for it and then dropped it <laughs> in its mouth? Yeah. What, which were you doing? No, that was that that would have been too tedious. Um, there's formula. There's okay. formula like with baby food. So you mix it with water and then a lot of people use syringes like without the needle to to feed the bird. My dad had basically created like baby bottles out of old like um you know, like the ketchup bottles that you squeeze, but yeah, clear yeah. so you can see what's happening. Very resourceful, your father. Oh yeah. He's super resourceful. Yeah. He, he had a very interesting upbringing in Greece. And then I think like coming to America, there's just all, all the possibilities. Like he grew up very impoverished in back in Greece. Mm -hmm. When did your father come to America? He came before my mom, like my dad came, I think like somewhere like mid 70s to late 70s okay and I was born in the 80s um uh-huh. but my uncle came first so my back it, my dad has like seven siblings back in Greece and in the Greek culture you spoil the first child um so the second child my uncle Simo he did not um he it, it kind of sucks to be the second kid especially like if there's a boy that's older than you because he's just going to get super spoiled so he was a little frustrated that my grandparents kept having a bunch of kids and like there would be a war they every like my grandpa would disappear he'd come back they'd have a few more kids there was another war my grandpa would go fight at war he'd come back so there were like a ton of kids and at a certain point my uncle Simo was like you know what if you guys have one more kid I'm I'm leaving. I can't like you, you're having way too many kids. And that's like seven siblings that survived because that was back when like, yeah. you know, you would yeah. have kids and just be like, Oh, that one died. Like there were Th- that three. one was weak. Yeah. <laughs> that one was born pretty with- much. Yeah. And they kept reusing the same name. That's what was weird. Like they had three. I, I, when I was talking to my grandma before she died, she was like, and then we had, but but she died and then we had another kid and we named her Paraskevula, but it took like four tries before they got a Paraskevula that didn't die. But they just kept reusing the same name. Maybe it's the name. I don't know. Maybe the name is cursed. One finally took. (laughs) But like, um, so then after um, more kids were born, my uncle joined the, the merchant marines, like the shipping and cargoes, like what Greece has been doing since ancient times because of the location like right on the water right in between europe asia and africa it's just shipping naturally is what what happens so he joined the ships made it to america and then ran away i'm i'm here because of illegal immigration yes (laughs) yes (laughs) yes so he um he found someone, got married, stayed, ended up having like four kids before he was 19. And then he invited 
the rest of his family over. Um, most of my dad's siblings came, but my dad was the only one who stayed. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else went back to Greece. And then that that was probably also like in a time and an era where like your dad didn't like grow up thinking, I'm going to be a bird salesman one day. It was probably like he got to America. They're like, look, there's a bird hustle if you want it. And he was like, all right, it's a job. Is that how it happened or? Well, so my dad always loved birds. Oh, he did always love birds. It was his calling. It was his calling in a lot of ways. He always loved birds. And um, my, my dad had to work since he was a child. Like both of my parents only went to elementary school. Like they Mm -hmm. just didn't, you had to be rich to really be able to do more than that where they were growing up. Um, so I think, I think that a lot of Greeks like to have their own businesses and like to start their own businesses. And that's sort of one of the reasons a lot of Greeks came over to, to America because at the time my dad came it was like right after he had served in the military during um a dictatorship a fascist dictatorship in um in Greece so there was you know a lot of poverty in a country that had already been war-torn for such a long time so then you come here and of course a lot of it is like you know Greeks in America are considered white so there's there they were getting the loans they were getting the opportunities to start businesses and a lot of people started restaurants that's what my dad first tried to do when uh-huh. he came here that's how you see a lot of Greek restaurants okay um and if his, he just wasn't very good at it and just issues with the family in general everyone was stealing money my dad was getting disgruntled and like spitting into people's food that restaurant did not last very long which was is this a also good in the bay was this also this in the bay area san jose. san jose okay yeah it was called the busy bee and i think it only lasted a few years it was that's still a good run mismanaged a few years tops <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, a lot of Greek people who open restaurants, they'll have them like for generations, uh, generations even. Yeah. Yeah. Like at least Mm -hmm. in the first generation, because there's in in the Greek culture, like there's a lot of drive to, you know, if you have access to education, do your education, um, open your businesses, be your own boss. And there's this push to try and have each generation be like more accomplished than the one before it. So mm-hmm. the first generation, maybe second generation was into restaurants or other sort of like businesses. And then just a really big push to try and have by the second or third generation, um, people becoming like doctors and lawyers and stuff like that. That's great. That's great. When uh, I think I, I have like one more bird question and then we're going to move yeah. on. <laughs> no, no, we could talk about birds. I don't, I, I think we could talk about birds, but there's, you're, you're, there's so many interesting things about you as well. Not just the, <laughs> not just the birds. Uh, did you, did you, what are you drinking there, buddy? I know we both have an affinity for coffee. Mm. Yeah. So this is coffee mixed with green tea. Mm, okay. Pretty good. This is just plain old coffee with a little bit of creamer. It's the last of, it's the last of this morning's batch. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I got, I get two, I get two good size cups and then one kind of halfway cup for the late afternoon pick me up or right before I record a podcast pick me up um what was your did you have an affinity for the birds what was your favorite birds and did you ever like 
not want to sell one? Did you ever get attached to a bird? And be like, no, don't sell Pablito. Yes, I did get attached to birds, um, but my dad would almost always sell them. It's like, it's, it's kind of a cultural thing. Like my grandpa was even worse because <laughs> my grandpa, he, he, most of my life, he lived in Greece, but with my cousins who are older, who are in California, like he would eat their pets. Like they had, <laughs> they had rabbits. Don't listen um, to my dog's back here. Don't listen. <laughs> Okay, no, they, they wouldn't eat dogs or cats. Like, that's not really a thing in Greece. But rabbits are food. And, like, they had, my cousins had pet rabbits in the yard in, like, a cage. And, um, yeah, one day he visited, and without saying anything, he's just like, I'll, I'll make dinner. And he just killed all the rabbits and cooked them. He and, was visiting, and he killed their rabbits and made them dinner. Yeah, because they're food. And there's this thing, I think part of it is like growing up, um, like having lived most of your life poor and hungry and like having been through real, like both of my, my grandparents on my dad's side are genocide survivors wow. um, from the Greek genocide that happened in Turkey about a hundred years ago. So it's just like if they've been through so much hardship and so much like actual like starvation and stuff that to them, it's, it's a bad thing to think of food as pets. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's wasteful. It's like, um, like even like my mom when she was a kid in Greece, she was visiting her cousin out in, in a village and um, they had chickens. And my, my mom was probably like eight at the time and she would feed the chickens and she really liked playing with them. And then her aunt came out and was like, oh, you like the chickens, huh? And my mom was like, yeah, they're really cute. They play with me. And she was like, which one's your favorite? <laughs> and my, my mom said, that one, it eats out of my hand. She grabbed it, broke its neck, right in front of my mom and said chickens are food <laughs> so it's just they think of it as like a faulty way of thinking about food like don't it, it's like people who empathize with objects right and then it's like no that's a thing it doesn't have feelings that's how that's how a lot of people think about like like food animals you know like, chickens rabbits not dogs or cats but <laughs> rabbits and birds and yeah. Yeah. And, and not all birds. Like when I was a kid, my dad would have us um, catch sparrows and we would eat sparrows. And that was just something I did as a child. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, that's a little weird that we do that. I don't know anyone else who does that. <laughs> and then it won't, at some point, my mom was like, we should probably stop doing this. I think it it's weird to people that we do this. Is there like a big, uh, is there a big like Greek community in San Jose or did, uh, is it, did you guys just, were you guys just randomly landed in San Jose? So San Jose has a really big um, community of people from the island of Hios, which is where my dad's side of the family is from. It's, um, it's an island on the Aegean right by Turkey. And one of the two islands, I don't know if you've been hearing all the refugees coming in mostly from Syria. Mm -hmm. they're they're going mainly to two islands in the Aegean Lesbos which 
everyone remembers for obvious reasons because <laughs> of the name. Did you say and, I didn't? I didn't laugh. I, I was able. You oh, were no, able to you say it, laugh. and I didn't laugh. And it, it actually means what you think it means. There was in ancient Greece the poet Sappho, who was a very famous lesbian poet, was from that island, which is why it's called that. Anyways, and then Hios, the island my dad's side of the family is from where I lived as a kid is right by there. So it's over the past 10 years, both of those islands have just changed um, quite a bit with everything going on. Oh, drop my phone. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Wow. That's so interesting. We haven't, we've been talking for almost 25 minutes and we haven't even mentioned uh, what we both love to do as a hobby is uh, try and make people laugh. And, uh, but there's not a lot of that going on right now. We're, we're all kind of like sheltered in place. You are sheltered yeah. in a little bit more place because you have immune deficiencies or is that, am I saying that right? Am I, it's, you, yeah. you have a compromised immune system. I do have a compromised immune system. I, I have this rare idiopathic blood condition um, where basically a lot of my white blood cells are missing, my neutrophil white blood cells, and they're the ones that fight bacteria. Thankfully, my white blood cells that are virus fighting are all intact. Um, but yeah, I've been, I think, a little bit stricter with with sheltering in place than a lot of people I know. I still okay, like I'll go out and go for walks or like social right. distantly hang out with people, but um, like stand-up shows are starting back up again in the city, which I love that that's happening. But for me, I'm thinking like, okay, what would, what precautions would I need to take to make that safe? <laughs> like mask, visor, probably my own mic, which I realize they're not that expensive. So. I'm taking my own mic to open mics right now. Yeah. So that's something I, I might branch out to, but I'm having surgery again next month. So it, it wouldn't be till after I heal from that. So I'm still looking at like a few months out before I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I have to like shelter in place even more leading up to a surgery. Um, just cause I don't, you know, I mean, I don't want to get the virus in general, but if I get it now, then my surgery will be pushed and it's just a lot right. more to consider. And what type, what type of surgery is this a surgery to do with the, with, with uh, your condition or just a, an old football injury? No, it's, um, so I, I have had some surgeries with my condition. Um, this one appears to be unrelated. So the thing about my condition is that no one knows why I have it. Uh, okay. A couple years ago, I started getting sick all the time. And then eventually I got an infection that was really bad that needed surgery. And that's when they did blood work and realized that I had this blood condition, but they don't know why. Like they don't know why it started happening. So um, I've had to have like several surgeries related to that. This, I think, as far as I can tell, is unrelated. I always hope that after some surgery, then I'll recover and then my blood cells will be normal because when something's idiopathic, it's just like I have to stop myself from constantly being like, could it be this? Could it be that? Like, what does Google say? And like, right, that, right. That's like a going down the rabbit hole situation. But this surgery, um, is uh, 
Eh, I'll talk about it because it, it is kind of like related to girl stuff, but I think we should normalize talking about the uterus. So um, do you regret asking the question? No, you know, you know, as a matter of fact, um, the girl I had on the podcast last week talked about a hysterectomy. And um, even when I was like thinking, do I want to ask her about her surgery or like, because I was just like, in general, like, you never know, like what the person's. Yeah. And then I was like, I, I was going to say, is it to do with your condition or is it girl stuff? <laughs> I, was, I really was going to say that it's because it's, it's very stuff. common. And you're right. We do need to normalize just a lot of things. So normalize yeah. away. So I have um, a fibroid. Do you have you heard of those? No. Explain. Okay. So fibroids are these like benign tumors, basically, that grow in um, or attached to the uterus. So they're pretty common. A lot of women get like small ones in their uterus. And if they start getting big, that's when it starts to be a problem. Um, I have one on the outside of my uterus that I first found out I had a couple of years ago, but I had Kaiser at the time. And like, I don't, I don't want to just like talk shit about Kaiser, but it's really hard to not uh -huh. <laughs> because um, like there've just been so many instances, like I had been getting sick for a year and they never did. Like it took them a year and a serious E. coli infection before they did the blood work that revealed my condition. Cause I used to weigh like 70 pounds more than I do now. And mm -hmm. every time I went to the doctor and I was like, I don't feel well, this and this and that is happening. They would always just say, well, you should lose weight, you know, and they wouldn't look into it any further than that. And it almost killed me. So then, you know, in 2018 is when we, I finally realized I had this condition. And um, then there were a lot of like tests to try and diagnose it and like figure out what was happening. And they found out that I had a fibroid attached to the backside of my uterus, um, which they told me wasn't very big. They were like, oh, it's, it's maybe like, round like an orange but flat it's not really a problem if you remove it we would probably have to do like a full hysterectomy you probably don't want to do that because that was only like 34 at the time and so they kind of like minimized it and terrified me from getting surgery done now it's been a couple years later and I started feeling more pain discomfort when walking I always looked like seven months pregnant and um I got another MRI done and this fibroid apparently was big because I, I still have the MRI from Kaiser. It was big then and they, or no, it was an ultrasound at Kaiser, but they just kind of had minimized it. Um, and now it's grown quite a bit. Um, it's the size of a cantaloupe. Um, That's pretty big. It's pretty big. It's, it's like two or three times bigger than my actual uterus, which is what it's attached to. Um, and it's on the outside, which means it's just kind of this cantaloupe moving around in my body and tugging on my uterus, which is why I've been feeling like so much pain almost constantly. And then it's pushing on my back and it's causing all these other issues. And I look like six months pregnant all the time. So the surgery is to remove that. Wow. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a little frustrating because like I had... I, I switched insurance from Kaiser end of last year after 
too many, like one thing after another, like just not just feeling like dismissed all the time. Um, and I'm a little frustrated because like I could have had this surgery two years ago when it wasn't as risky with the virus, with everything going on. But mm -hmm. I try to not complain too much because like, I'm grateful that I can have this surgery. You know, I, I have, um, like healthy SF, they have a really good health plan because all of this, like becoming chronically ill, every it sort of like turned my life upside down. Like I lost my job because of it. And like, I just, I feel very grateful that I live in a city that has the socialized healthcare, which is sort of like, you know, it's Medi-Cal and then some. So mm -hmm. I don't want to complain too much. I'm glad I'm getting it fixed now, but I am very annoyed with Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, with everything that's that's going on um, in our world today, I, I would like to say that you are definitely, you are not a complainer, right? Uh, because I remember when the pandemic started and the lockdown started, you posted, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of, 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 of content, a lot of videos, but you posted some, some stuff that really made me like, kind of like, look at like what I had and I, and made me enjoy it. Like, I remember like, like you posting about like the, just how you'd like to do your coffee. Right. Oh, and, yeah. and when we, then we uh, emailed each other back and forth a couple of times, I forgot what you said about the, I was something. As a, I love the smell of privilege in the morning. Yes. <laughs> I remember when you said that and you absolutely made me remember that like I have a French press, I have a grinder, I have beans, I have cinnamon sticks, and I can make myself a really great cup of coffee in my kitchen and not have to leave. And like that post of yours reminded me of that. Like, so when, when so many people were just like posting these negative things and these, these horrendous and these, these angry things, like you said that, and it really like made me like go like, she's absolutely right. Like we, we can create our own little privilege or whatever. And I, and I, and and I started like doing my French press again. And like, I really got into it. I'm still doing my French press now. And then you also on your birthday, you made yourself a cake and you're just like, I'm going to have a fucking birthday cake. And if you want to have cake with me, you can watch. And you absolutely made yourself a birthday cake. You made yourself a birthday dinner and you invited people to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I, I sang happy birthday to myself. <laughs> I, I think I was great and I really enjoyed them and, and you're still very, very positive, very upbeat. And man, I had no idea. I, I just assumed that uh, the surgery you're going to have was to do with, with your, with your condition and not just other regular life problems that, that happen to people. So good luck with yeah. that. Um, Thank you. I mean, I'm hoping, my hope is that if this is removed, because of course I've looked at every corner of the internet and there have been times when fibroids get really big that they can cause other issues and your body might react like it's fighting an infection. So it's a stretch, but a part of me does hope, well, hey, maybe if this comes out, my blood situation will figure itself out. But yeah, most likely it's unrelated. So <laughs> you, you, you started getting sick, uh, a couple of years ago, were you already doing comedy at that time? Or is comedy something that you started um, kind of like as, as self-therapy to that? So um, 
I I had started doing comedy about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, and I did it for a few years. And then when I was in grad school, um, I had a back issue. Um, like it, I had a herniated disc and it got really bad. And like, I ended up having to be in the hospital for a week and like had to relearn how to walk and um, it was like, it took months to recover from it. And then, you know, ended up, they had put me on opiates. So then once oh, no. my back got better, then I had to quit the opiates. And anyways, uh, all of that was like a lot to handle while also doing grad school. So that's sort of when I had stopped doing standup um, because I wanted to focus on grad school and like healing um then for about five years I did stand up maybe once or twice a year just so that I didn't completely put it behind me I didn't want to to let it go like I love it um and then once I got sick and I had to have surgeries and like go on leave from work um it was something that I did as a way to like process and cope with what I was going through. So a lot of my standup like is about my health issues um, or even like mental health issues or, or of like my, um, my cultural upbringing, because I feel like, I feel like a lot of my standup is autobiographical. um, And I try to figure out how to like, find a way to sort of make my story humorous and palatable because a lot like a lot of who I am as a person is not what people assume I am when they look at me so it's just like okay I have to figure out how to talk about all this stuff while also being aware of like you know what people might be thinking about me yeah um the first time I saw you do comedy was at the uh, Sacramento Punchline and you were on the uh, Invisible Disabilities show with uh, uh, Ali and Drew and uh, Amber. Yeah. So yeah, those those were some those were some great shows, and they they really I like like I've met so many great comics through those shows. Like that's where I first saw you. That's where I first saw Coral Best. That's where I first saw Ivy Cordova. Who, who are you guys? Are all comics that have been around? But like that was like that was the the avenue that that led me. To, to see you guys for the first time. And like, I'm really grateful for, for that show. And I can't wait yeah, me for too. that to come back, right? Hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully <laughs> soon. I don't know what's going on with the sack punchline. I know the one in SF is not opening anytime soon. Yeah, well, I haven't heard anything about the, the one here in Sacramento. Like, like you said, a uh, couple of bars are, are opening back up and they're, they're starting to do uh, Sacramento comedy spot is doing um they're closing down uh the street in front of them because there's like restaurants and stuff and so they're able to put shows on from their deck uh, facing the street and it looks really cool they're, they're able to sell tables they're able to sell tables people are buying tables and then they're having like the restaurant next door like bring in food to them so it, it's really cool um so there's a lot of that going on and you know, I, I think uh, we're people are just figuring it out and just trying to be safe at the same time. You know. Yeah, and I, it's 
it's tricky because it's like we don't know for sure what what works and what doesn't like uh, but I I think I am you know as much as like I have to take precautions for myself I'm glad to see that comedy is is happening again because I think that people need to laugh right now <laughs> and I think it's it's an art form that really just it just helps with healing I think not just for the performer but for the audience no, people definitely need to laugh right now like the feedback that I've that I've gotten from my friends who have done shows are just has, has just been like the audience was so thirsty for comedy like was just so glad to one to be out Two, like having a nice dinner somewhere. And three, you know, like you're getting to watch somebody make you laugh. So like that combination of the three, I think I think comedy is going to just be huge when this is over again. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I was, uh, I, I looked you up on YouTube uh, right before this. And uh, I already knew about the, the Invisible Disability show. So I knew we were going to talk about that. But I had no idea about the roast battles that you uh, participated in and I watched uh, I, I probably watched about six or seven minutes of one uh, what was that about two years ago uh, the uh, ultimate ultimate roast championships it's kind it, of been within the past year oh it was yeah, more like recent the, yeah I think I started those in like the beginning of 2019 maybe yeah uh -huh. like it's a little over a year ago is when I started Okay, and how yeah. is it like a tournament? Did you did you move on? Did you have fun? Or, or had you done roast before? I had not done roast before. It was a tournament, and I made it all the way to like I didn't win the belt, but I was the number one ranked contender. So like I only lost to the the person who ended up getting the the first guy to get the belt, but all the I had beat like a bunch of people <laughs> and like um I I think like Cree Powell has the belt now and like I've already beat her a couple times I just I had never done it before but I guess like I I'm good at like insulting people <laughs> I don't know <laughs> it's I think part of it is also cultural like in the Greek culture you're like you it's not considered like offensive to be honest I feel like it's a very American thing and maybe like a white American thing more specifically that that you you can't ever comment on what a person looks like or or tease them or make fun of them because it's considered mean and it's considered offensive but like growing up in my home or even when I'm in Greece, it's like, yeah, you make fun of people for their nose. You, you make fun of people for their size. Like you, you just do it. You joke about it. Everyone jokes about it. And it's sort of like, and um, it's not considered like a mean thing. So I don't know. I don't want to make everything cultural, but I do just feel like it's, it's not a stretch for me to talk about these things. And what I like about a roast battle is that it's like socially acceptable to do that. Because if I do it in real life, jokingly, except maybe with some of my closer friends, but if, if I ever try to do it in real life, a lot of times it's just like, oh, she's a bitch. Like, what the hell's wrong with her? <laughs> like, it's so mean. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And at a roast battle, I mean, the audience is waiting for it. And it's, it's, it's kind of got like a, like a, a WWF type atmosphere. Of yes. Like, 
and and uh, and I think that did you did was it a, a different energy than stand up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for one, it's like there's the back and forth, so you're not up there alone. Um, and there's there's like jokes that I write in advance, and then there's also like riffing and comebacks. So I like that, and I do. I have like a little bit of um, of an improv background as well. Oh. So I feel like that that helps with both the teamwork and then also like coming up with with riffs and like rebuttals and stuff. Um, and I also love puns. So a lot of times my roast jokes are actually like some form of a pun. Yeah, you were you were battling uh Bryce and you made several references to uh Bryce cakes uh Bryce white on Bryce and yeah <laughs> and he even said he even said at one point what is this a pun battle like you... <laughs> it's whatever you make it <laughs> yeah that's that's so funny what um how much improv did you do or where did you do improv um so I did it's kind of like an open mic for improv, but every Tuesday at Piano Fight in the city, there was open improv. Um, so that's probably like, that was the thing I did most regularly. And then kind of through that, I started doing um, this show called Comedy Baseball, which is uh, an improv competition sort of in the theme of baseball where basically like one side pitches you a premise and then you have to come up with a joke um, based on that premise and the certain guidelines. So it's like um, like a improv style thing. Like there's uh, the one, sorry, I'm having trouble figuring out what word to use. Um, improv games, right? Okay. So like there's the game, um, like uh 92 blanks walk into a bar right and then you sort of complete it with whatever premise they pitched you or like world's worst like stuff like that mm -hmm. so that's probably the most improv that I've done um and it's also heavy on the puns <laughs> when you when you have to come up with a joke on the spot a lot of times it's just a pun yeah have you ever done any of the of the pun shows like i know sacramento has um capital punishment thank you because i just yeah. blanked on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did that i did that once uh before the pandemic and then i did the online version as well oh yeah, yeah. did they have a huge following that show is so popular did you did you do it at uh, at luna's cafe I did. Yeah. Sold out, right? Like packed. Yeah, it was packed. I didn't know so many people could fit in there. <laughs> it well, was it so much have been, fun. But <laughs> yeah, I'm I, glad I got to, I did it in February. So kind oh, of right you barely before the world shut in. down. Yep. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I, yeah uh, who's that? That's uh, that's uh, Damien Harmony. Uh, um, oh, names. I'm bad at names. Yeah. I'm forgetting everyone's name right now, but <laughs> um yeah that's that's a great crew the um, yeah. mark, mark berg right yeah mark berg. super nerdy guys i love it <laughs> yeah and they and they they are super smart uh i i hung out recently with with uh with mark and and, and i am killing myself for forgetting his daniel homburger that's it yeah why was i forgetting daniel's name i'm gonna edit that out <laughs> yeah no that's fine <laughs> 
<laughs> I hung out recently with uh, Mark and Daniel, and they are super smart, super mm-hmm. nerdy, and like they say stuff, and I'm like, was that a joke or was that just like like over my head oh, all the time? Half their puns go over my head, and I mean, like Damien is uh, a Latin teacher, so it's just like he they they literally sometimes make references that I'm just like I, I don't. I have no idea what you're I'm sure it's it's a solid pun. But yeah, Dam- Damien's stand-up is super punny and super like long and complicated. And it just it just goes and goes and goes. And like to- right before the pandemic, he had this joke that ended with uh Britney Spears and just the way he set it up and and oh my god, yeah, that guy is amazing. And I I I'm I am not quick-witted enough to be punny so it's it, i i've never i would never do a roast battle i <laughs> i guess i should never say never right the whole thing of like no or never say never but like i have no desire to do a roast battle or no desire to do puns because i just can't think that quick and i think you're either you're either gifted with it or you're not but that's that's where i am on puns man i mean my my first roast battle the very first time i did it i was terrible i sucked so much and like I just didn't it took a while to sort of like adjust to it because it is very different from doing stand-up but yeah you have to like it you have to I know people who just don't want to be mean and would never do one because they don't want to yeah ever they don't know they just don't want to say anything mean about someone else so Uh I'm I don't have that problem (laughs) (laughs) I'm worried that I would that I'll just get too mean and I can't come back from it but that's sort of what you do in a roast battle though like it's it's hard to to be too mean like i feel i feel like sometimes people might feel like something is off limits but i just think as long as you can figure out how to make it funny nothing is off limits but it does have to be funny that's always the risk like if you're if you know you just yeah have you ever seen a roast battle just go south we're just like okay that guy's just being mean now or like that girl's just being mean now (laughs) I've seen a couple where it's like, oh, that was kind of mean, but. Yeah, uh, it's, I think that it's just like, well, if it's just an insult or an observation, it's not funny, you know, like, but it does, I I feel like for, for me, it's better when someone else does that. If someone's just like, oh, you're ugly. It's like, where's the joke? You know, (laughs) like you can give them shit for sucking it telling a joke you know but yeah it does seem like it could easily just turn into just one insult after another without actual jokes have you been have you been writing comedy during the the pandemic have you been what what, what's kept you how how have you kept your your comedy juices flowing How, how have you kept that have you been able to do anything like that yeah, so I've done um, I've done some Zoom shows, and I have written new material, um, especially around sort of like identity and the immigrant experience, and um, sort of like the difference between like ethnic identity and racial identity. Because Greeks are an ethnic group, but then in America we're we're white, so we're racially white, but ethnically and culturally we're not. Yeah. And that's that's very difficult for a lot of Americans to understand. So I've been trying to develop material around that. Um, and I think um, 
I, I've had a lot of people tell me that I shouldn't talk about race and I shouldn't joke about race. And there's a lot of like, just weirdness around it. And I feel like a lot of like confusion in general with a lot of Americans, especially like white Americans right now. But I just feel like, well, all the more reason to talk about it. Um, and it's sort of been helping me process kind of what's going on bigger picture with our country right now. But then also where um sort of like where I fit into everything and where my my cultural group fits in everything because Greek Americans a lot of times only hang out with each other because if we start talking about ourselves and our history it a lot of times especially and I don't want to say it's exclusive to white Americans but like especially with white Americans they it's hard for them to understand the ways that we are like culturally and historically different. So we end up having this weird, like marginalized experience where we keep to ourselves um, and we don't really branch out. And I'm trying to figure out like, okay, how do I stay me and talk about who I am, but in a way that, that Americans like don't think is offensive. Um, so that's sort of my ambitious goal. <laughs> With my that's great at this point yeah because the the whole what, what you're saying like with the immigrant experience because i think that so many times when we hear the the term immigrant we expect to see not somebody who's white you're like oh that, yeah. they're not an immigrant like you expect to see like somebody my color or somebody darker or somebody you know what i'm saying so um i think that's a really interesting perspective and it's something i hadn't thought about until you just mentioned it right now and even when you were telling the stories at the very beginning of the podcast how you were saying that like you know, there, there was this American life and then there was this Greece life, this Greek life that you lived. Like it really reminded me a lot of uh, conversations that I had with last week's guest, uh, Jessica De La Garza, when I was talking about like what it was like when I was a kid and visiting Mexico and how it was like, it was a, it was a, a, a less fast paced life. And it was something that like looking at it now, like, oh my gosh, that's such a great life to lead. Right. As opposed to this like fast paced life that we live here in America, but mm -hmm um they're they're both uh beautiful in their own way but like we we just got to look at it from from the right perspectives i guess when yeah. was the last when was the last time you were able to visit it's been a long time it's been over 10 years so oh, wow yeah growing up i i mean as a little kid i told you it was like half there half here and then up until i was about high school it was every summer we'd go for like one or two months and then once I sort of became an adult and went out on my own, it just became a lot harder. Um, and because, you know, like when I was in college, I I took like double units and I was working a bunch of jobs. And like it was just I had a very different college experience from like a lot of my my classmates. And then trying to get work after having multiple jobs like having a hard time even finding a job that had vacation time that even had like health benefits right yeah. and then by the time I got to the point where I had a full-time job it was like wait I only get like a week vacation a year like I it, it's it's gonna be like a day to fly to Greece two days to get over jet lag one day to see all my hundreds of family members who are going to be very offended if I go to Greece and don't see them. Yes. And then I fly back to go back to work exhausted. It just, it, it became like really difficult to do. So the last time I went, 
um, was over 10 years ago before the economic crisis. I don't even know if you remember that with everything else that's happened in the world, but before Brexit, there was talks of Grexit. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because Greece's economy has been um, really, really suffering over the past like 15 years or so. Um, But Greece never, like it didn't end up exiting the EU. There's all sorts of like shady political things going on with like how the EU treats Greece and the country has become privatized. Like China owns uh, most of Greece's shipping now, which is like, uh, and it's a whole political thing. And it's a whole, like, there's a lot of issues with the economy. Um, So yeah, the last time I went was even before um, the, the refugees started coming in from, Mm -hmm. from mostly Syria. Um, so it's, it's changed a lot from what I hear and from what I can imagine. Um, and I do want to go back, but it's, it's even trickier now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Maria, I hope you get to go back. I hope that you get a lot of time to visit and you're not like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because when we visit our family in Mexico, it's like, okay, we're going to spend this day with them. We're going to spend this day with them, this day. And what about them? Well, they're going to have to show up at this place because we can't go like, you know, it's just, and it's just so hard because like, you obviously love all your family and you want to see everybody, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, It's a lot. It's a lot. And if I'm like, Hey, I'm here. Everyone come to this restaurant. Let's all hang out. Then I have to pay for everything for like a hundred people. (laughs) Cause that's like the Greek culture. If you invite people out, you have to pay. If it's your birthday and you invite people for a dinner, you're paying for everything. Like it's, it's kind of (laughs) reversed from how it is in America. (laughs) Oh man. Um, when, when is your, when's your surgery? It is on the 19th of next month. Okay, so on the 19th of next month. Coming up. All right. I hope that everything goes well for you. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely keep in touch with you and check in with you uh, right Thank before you. or right after. Because like I said, like, um, it, it, I, I am very much a proponent of like, it takes a village and we all have to like do our part to make sure that everyone keeps going. And some of your posts really got me through some really tough days at the beginning of this Aww. pandemic. So thanks a lot for that. And um, thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast that I had no idea we were going to talk so much about birds today. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun talking about birds and talking about grief. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, this last hour I just spent with you. And yeah, um, anything too. you anything you want to plug before there's nothing's going on, right? Like, uh, I mean, I I am in this uh, piano fight thing next week, like virtual. So piano fights this like really cool venue in it's, San Francisco. It's awesome. it's awesome. And now they're they've created this like online venue. And next Thursday they're doing um, basically like a party, like you you buy your ticket and it's all virtual and you can like interact with people. I don't know exactly how it works, like with avatars or whatever. Um, And there's going to be different shows. And one of the shows is going to be comedy baseball that I was telling you about. So when I did comedy baseball, my team did pretty well. Like we ended up like, I think second or third place. My team was called the sons of pitches. (laughs) Um, 
so I'm going to be in, in that, um, next week. I'm still trying to figure out the details, but that's a fun virtual thing. And you can like experience piano fight in virtual form and like get to see everybody again. <laughs> I, I went to piano fight a couple of years ago to watch, um, this podcaster I follow, uh, he made a movie independently and he, he had a screening at piano fight. Yeah, in one, of, in one of the in one of the theaters, I was like, "This place is cool. It's got a big got big room in the front, and then theater like you, like movie you can show movies in like some of the back rooms." That yeah, that, that was weird. It made me like really think like this place like as far as like San Francisco history goes. I bet you this is super old, and there's been tons of stuff that happened in this place. <laughs> I think it's a relatively new place like a, oh, less okay. than 10 years if i were to guess but it's already become such a staple in the art scene and like it's it's my favorite venue in in the whole city so like it was i, I spent a lot of time there <laughs> back oh, when right. in the before times <laughs> well we're gonna we're gonna get back to those times and when i come to the city take me there and when you come here yeah let's let's go have some greek food and uh and some, some good, good coffee. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye.